apologize. But I'm still on bad terms with no, her because I, I got mad at her because I, in error, thought she stole my coat. I thought she thought who took it, and then she wants to hold it against me. How much is two times two? Four. Okay. What's one half of four? One and a half, or two and a half. I'm not stupid. Two and a half. <laughs> man, you're working my nerves. You're working my nerves, man. In the courtroom of Judge Joe Brown, you have the right to a fair trial. You have the right to confront your accusers. You have the right to your day in court. But if you're proven wrong, he has the right to make you pay. Sense and natural whenever I have lost my energy and I still like the pretty girl's mind. <laughs> so anyway, let's see. I'm leading into this. In the 60s, I was a student at UCLA and then I went back uh, after that and I got my doctorate of law there. And I wound up relocating to Memphis, Tennessee in the very early 70s. So since I started on this legal journey, it's been about 50 years. And before that, well, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. So okay. it is what it is. And I had my adventures. And I wasn't a creature of civil rights, though I did experience it. And I did go through that apartheid over here in America. You know, colored only, whites only, this kind of thing. Traveling at night not during broad daylight so yeah but i was into that black power thing the militant thing power <laughs> fist uh, uh you know i'm black and i'm proud down with the cause bsu panther party the whole thing like that so that's the background perspective now with this topic of manhood uh, i coined the term man up a bit more than 30 years ago, I used to use it when I was practicing law and when I'd get out into the Memphis community. And I had been using it way back when, when I was in L.A. Uh, myself and two other very good brothers, one named now Dr. Chappelle, another one named Dr. Stewart, uh, Cliff Stewart, we still hang together. <laughs> Uh, he is a martial arts master. He was also Muhammad Ali's bodyguard for a long time. Mr. T's bodyguard, Wesley Snipes' bodyguard. He even uh, was the personal bodyguard for one of the heirs to the Saudi throne. Okay. And he's done a lot of things like that, but he was also a brilliant man. He went to UCLA when I did. Mm. And we ran a playground at a place called Trinity Avenue Elementary School in Los Angeles, which was probably one of the worst areas in L.A. at the time. Mm. We had two notable students, one a little skinny 11-year-old kid on the playground who is now deceased. His name was Barry White, the singer. Okay. So they put his age up a bit to match his voice. And then there was another one who was a very brilliant kid. But his mama wouldn't let us get him out of the swamp, and he just became the baddest alligator in the swamp. His name was Tookie Williams, and he was the last person executed on California's death row. Uh, he started the Crips, and they should have commuted his sentence. He wrote six very good children's books. 
but that was from the entertainment and success to the other side where it had some very heavy consequences. And we had this playground we set up mm. and we got a lot of people in the area that got involved. So we set up a radio station and I was the DJ on the radio station and I coined this term man up and 30 years later I wound up using it on the bench when I was a judge in Memphis Tennessee a state judge okay and I was trying to do something about this recidivism rate uh, that means a repeat offender, somebody convicted of a felony in the state, the statewide level was about 80%. And in my courtroom, it was only 18%. And the secret is man up because you take the you who have no cause. And in the American parlance, yo, judge, man, it's like this, man. Uh, why I got to be worried about all this and that, man? You know, I'm 21, man. I ain't going to see 24, man. For I'm dead, man. Ain't no daylight at the end of my tunnel, man. What I got to deal with all this for, man. So, so I say, so well, that's not important that you don't see personal daylight because if you are a man and do what a man does, there's some people you're supposed to be responsible for. So your job, even if you die doing it, is getting those people from where they are now to the daylight at the end of the tunnel, getting them through the smoke and flames, and then killing off the fire-breathing Gila monsters on the way that are setting fire to the tunnel. So you have a cause. So what happens, see, it doesn't have to be a religious cause, a philosophical or a political cause. It's a manhood cause. So every morning, the man in the mirror says, oh, hey, man, did you do what you were supposed to do today? Or uh, did you do something you weren't? supposed to do today so when you keep that in mind and you got this cause where you're rather willing to sacrifice yourself for this cause then you straighten up people walk up to me today uh judge man you remember me no will you give me some time i said that i give you enough oh yeah see but that ain't it man it's like uh that manhood thing, man, I did not understand until you started breaking it down. Now, man, I got grandchildren, man. I ain't never been back in trouble. Got two jobs, man, and a bunch of boys around in the neighborhood I'm trying to spread the word to. So, you so, so see, that's the yeah. kind of thing you do where it passes on. There's this manly obligation. But back in the 60s, when I was on the UCLA's campus, we had this thing we called the NAM, a.k.a. the Vietnam War going on. So what was going on is, war is the man thing. You understand that if we just change the way boys raise the men so they learn to emote, to cry, to shout, to let it all hang out instead of trying to be so uptight and under self-control, war will end. They need to be raised as girls so... They're in touch with their inner, softer, emotional side. So was That's correct. so was was that the inauguration of toxic masculinity? Was that kind of the the framework uh, behind that? They aren't the only ones that were in on it. And then we had the man haters, the feminists, but not feminine women, the feminists as a movement. Hmm. We had the nascent LGBT thing 
And we had what we called nerds or dorks then that are now called soy boys or beta boys who were white and could not make it in a white man's world. So they wanted to destroy traditional masculinity because they said things like duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, accountability, patriotism, and all this other stuff led to war. So what they did say on campus is that they were going to dedicate themselves to taking over the entertainment industry. Mm, can see that. <laughs> television, see motion that. picture production and so forth and the print media. And it has become a thing over the years where you get homosexuals and others gravitating to that particular industry or that breadth of industry, sort of like you get gays in interior decorating and such okay. like, I'm or fashion. dance I'm and fashion. such things. Um, and what they wanted to do was to the feminist side particularly, they hated men. Hmm. So you had them going around the country and having speaker after speaker who would say that if you were a woman, you needed to have your family without having a man because men didn't do anything but mess up children. So just find some fool that had a good mind, physical body, get knocked up or get prego and, you know, have a baby. Then don't even tell him because all he's going to do is mess stuff up. Then you had an unfortunate situation that the Johnson administration caused, but they had good intentions, and that was the safety net. And one of the problems with the safety net is the public assistance that a woman got was dependent upon the number of children that she had, so they tended to have more to increase the size of the check that they got. And then, and then did, that was the did, that, thing. did that start to push out the man then at that point? Yeah, so, well, the man wasn't so much pushed out by that but a lot of the social welfare departments in the various of the 50 states had the idea that if there was a man around something was going wrong so when i first started practicing law in the early 70s one of the number one cases that i wound up getting was getting the check cut back on because some social worker aspired some one of the multiple fathers going in trying to be a good dad to the boys in the household. They didn't want that. So that cascaded those two things, three things. And then we had this other bit. When you talk about toxic masculinity, they wanted to hold that all masculinity was toxic. And they laid out this careful 50, literally 50 year long campaign of propaganda can I, can I ask a question? to get the public to be impressed that all masculinity was toxic and it start little by little what they call toxic masculinity now is a misnomer because what they're really talking about is the absence of masculinity okay see masculinity is not being tough rough and all of that that comes along with it it's not having uh, a gym body where you go and work out five days a week. What it is, is it's a state of mind. A masculine state of mind is something that a boy who has masculinity input, inputted into him properly adopts when he is a grown male who becomes a man. And he has duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, accountability, dependability, 
he has a work ethic, he has ethics, and he has a sense of morality, and he's dedicated to taking care of and providing and protecting those people that he is responsible for. That's a good thing. He is a man of peace, dignity, and public order who can be brave and courageous when necessary. He's well in touch with his man's side, and he is not into this thing of random violence. He tries to promote public peace, and he's well acquainted with his inner beast. And when I say inner beast, well, frankly, humans are the apex predator on the planet Earth and the best killing machines that Mother Nature has contrived to evolve. Everything on this planet essentially exists at our, sus uh, our tolerance and sufferance. And if it's not on one of our protected lists or promoted, then it's in danger of going extinct and it is in danger. Who, so who, who, who was, we are that. So was, this killing machine is there innate in humans. Okay. So if you don't get properly acculturated and socialized, you don't know what to do with it. When you take effective fathers out of the home, and society itself doesn't back this up in terms of what fathers would have done if they were not there. Uh, and it attempts to, attempts to sissify or emasculate the society. Then what you get is a lot of out of control males and you get schoolyards shot up. You get people going off and trying to knife, blow up gas or otherwise kill a bunch of people in a subway station or in America shoot a school up, or go to Vegas and shoot up a crowd, or you get it daily in the hoods over here, barrios and trailer parks, where the boys who lack masculinity because they have not had a father in the home to teach them, and society no longer has movies where manhood is pushed and promoted, uh, in fact, the exact opposite, then they are emotional creatures and they kill very readily and they don't have a purpose, no cause, and they hate themselves in one component nobody talks about. So would, would you say... Would you say the ideation of those who are excessively violent would you because say, they hate themselves, would you say, they don't respect anybody else, and they will attempt to... Uh, shall we say, provoke somebody into doing him the favor of taking their lives. Man, I'm talking to you, man. You looking at me? No, I'm not looking at you. So, you call me alive, man. You know, like, what you looking at me for? Man, look, man, I'm going to my job, man. Look, fool, I ain't got no J-O-B. Why are you looking at me? So, man, will you back off that? Look, man, I, look, man, don't move up on me like that. Okay. I do what I'm gonna do, man. You know, oh, you gonna do something? Okay. Bam, bam, and then he gets shot. He's dead. Okay. That's what he wanted. And see, drugs, it's not about getting high, it's about trying to die. Drugs have claimed another victim in downtown, wherever and in Melbourne. I say, you know, today the constabulary they found using socially acceptable suicide. One part of the yeah. uh culture yeah. goes, Oh my god, did you hear about poor Oscar last week? No, what happened? Oh my God, he just didn't see any meaning in life, you know? So he jumped out of his father's office building from the 28th floor. Oh no, I could, I, I saw this coming. Why did no one do anything? Or you get the other one. 
Hey, man, you hear about uh, Stomp Man? No, man, whatever. Man, we was all over Shaw Dog's house, man, and we was smoking that fire smoke, man. Next thing we know, dude, all down on the ground, man. I done rolled up the top of his head, man. Spit coming all out his mouth. The heel was kicking. Man, we called uh, 911 emergency, man, but he didn't get there in time, man. Dude, hop us out for they can get him to the emergency room. Hey, man, ain't that the second one his mama done lost this year? Yeah, man. Hey, man, I hope she don't freak out. Uh, See, so, so judge, 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 judge. So, um, in terms of that, that, that bestiality kind of mindset, from my framework, that's like the carnal man. That's like, you know, there's, two, there's a man inside both of us that's wrestling for, for dominance and that's kind of um, articulated as the carnal man versus the man who's trying to, or it's, it's uh, illustrated as the carnal man, which is like the impulsive side, and then the man who's, the, the, you know, you most let your mind control your body rather than your body govern your mind. Um, and also what you said was very interesting. You said that because people are oppressed, or um, they don't have any purpose, they then have self-fulfilling prophecies and then go out and act out in a particular way. And then you also said on the flip side that you have people in a, a place of privilege who have purpose, or I guess, because there's a, there's a scripture that comes to mind for me where it says, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't necessarily homosexuality or anything like that. That was a part of it. But it says it was idleness and fullness of bread. So when people are idle and they haven't got anything to do, you know, there's that old adage that um, the devil makes work for, for idle. What does it say? Idle minds, mischief makes. Something along, along them lines. Army, whether it's the uh, British army or the American army, or one in China, one of the things they have to do is find something to occupy the privates so they don't get in mischief. The army here has an old thing that says you take two privates, 19 years old, and put them in a locked room, or take one private, a 19 years old, lock him in a room with two bowling balls, come back the next morning, one of the bowling balls is missing and the other one's broke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to find something for them to do. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, you've just looked at two... Got a, uh, M16 slash M4 that the military uses as its standard infantry uh, weapon. And people complain about the necessity for keeping the thing clean. Well, from a command uh, perspective in the military, that's a good thing. It keeps the troops occupied rather than idle. And once they talk to somebody who's actually being shot at and find out why they need to keep it clean, they, they keep it clean. So it's a, it's a time occupier. But you see, here's this thing. Is that, is it on, that, on, that same thought, on that same thought, is that why solitary confinement is such a destructive thing for a person? It's not destructive because it doesn't do anything except give him status. Yeah, man, they had me in solitary No, 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 no. I'm not on about, I'm not on about. Well, that. if you, one thing they found was interesting that had a much better effect for the institution was to feed the guy baby food instead of bread and water in solitary confinement. He couldn't be, uh, brag about that. I'm not talking about the notoriety. 
of being in a solitary confinement. I'm not talking about notoriety. I'm talking about when you don't have anything to do, yeah, then you have the capacity to go a bit crazy. So going back to those guys in the hood who might get certain doors closed on them, I know we shouldn't embellish being a victim, although the system does victimize a certain particular people. So if the door's constantly being thrown or closed at you, um, there's a saying that says, oppression makes a wise man mad. So if you're always being oppressed or you're feeling some sort of oppression, you're going to act out or you're going to have retaliatory behavior that's going to lead to certain, you know, undesirable well, if you've outcomes. got fully-fledged free human beings. See, the problem in America is that part of the bad effect of slavery was that it entered a slave mindset into black culture that's still pretty widespread. So you take a collar off of a dog, what do you have? You still have a dog. You take the apparatus of slavery off of a slavery, off of a slave, you still have a slave unless he has learned how to think as a free person. That's one of our big problems around the world where you find African descendants. They did things as a cultural adjunct to their oppression. Here's the other thing. One of the main problems that I'm seeing around the world is this removal of manhood from the equation. See, if you get someone thinking like a girl, they are into this masculine thing about you know, I call my shots. Now, in the American hood, there's a problem from the lack of manhood in the upbringing of these boys. And that's that your typical, what we call a hood rat, is actually a lesbian in a boy's body. See, a lesbian is raised as a girl. She likes other girls sexually, but she's got girl plumbing. If you took one of them and you got the fairy, whatever, waving the magic wand and they woke up with boy plumbing, there'd be no difference. So the typical inner city male resident is raised as a girl. He likes girls sexually, but he's got boy plumbing. So the only difference between him and a lesbian is his plumbing, not his mindset. We have this push in America and around the world where we have glorified the LGBT stuff, which is the antithesis of masculinity. Not the buffed out masculinity in terms of appearance, but actual masculinity. Like, for example, the most de decorated U.S. soldier in history is a guy named Audie Murphy, like five feet, six inches tall, and he became an actor and starred in maybe 50 Westerns. He got killed in a plane crash, but directors quickly found out he was a different sort than what they were dealing with because he was a bit psycho. He liked killing. Wow. He got everything from our Congressional Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, multiple silver stars, brown stars. He fought from Africa, Italy, and in Germany and held off a whole uh, uh, German uh, regiment at one time all by himself. So he's a glorified murderer, uh, yeah? Burning tanks. 
so he was a real badass, okay. excuse the language. Mm-hmm. But he exemplified masculinity, but he was certainly not a big person. So he wasn't your buffed out type that too many people think of when they think of masculinity as somebody working in the gym. Or I've heard it say he's a real alpha male. He liked to do. No, that's not being an alpha male. An alpha male is an individual who's in charge, who is attempting to do something for the pack he's in charge of. If you go to a zoo and go to the primate cage, you can see the baboons and the chimps going through all kinds of changes with each other to see who's going to be the alpha male. But the thing about being an alpha male is if you are the alpha male and there's a leopard attacking your pack, you're supposed to be the closest member of your pack to the leopard. You're supposed to be between the leopard and threat and the rest of the people you're alpha male for. We lose that common element. So that is a distinction. But back to this thing you asked about earlier, about them trying to do this 50 years ago. Yes, they did. And they have got the public thinking in terms of toxic masculinity. And the thing that I find distinctively different is this. Mm -hmm. If I talk to, well, they're all dead now, but if I talk to my father or my grandfather's plural Mm -hmm. or my uncles on both sides of the equation, they would have said the same thing about manhood that I said, that my peers said. If I talk to my son's generation or granddaughter's generation and I discuss with them, there's a a disconnect. They are no longer speaking the same things that I am speaking, that my peers spoke. But what we speak is the same thing our fathers, grandfathers, and uncles were speaking. So... There is a sea change, and it's got to do with this propaganda. Now, 50, 60 years ago, if a kid was my age at that time who, well, I was in my 20s, was looking at a movie, you'd get manhood crammed down your throat from the movie. Okay, when yeah, I was yeah, in yeah, elementary yeah. school, and I'm yeah, seven, yeah, eight, yeah. nine was years that, old. Was that, was, that, was uh, that to recruit soldiers, do you reckon? Was that... Was yeah, that because of the military? Westerns and everything, and you yeah. don't see too many Westerns these days. You know what? You have the Prussian, not Russian, but Prussian education, which was trying to um, conform the, the, the Prussian nationals to make them more militaristic. So a lot of the education was to reinforce manhood so that they would be, to quote, um, I think it was Henry Kissinger, to be camel fodder, you know? So there's psyching them up to be this, 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 you know, epitome of manhood to, you know, be soldiers, you know, the education of manhood to a degree, not, not saying it uniformly, but especially in the Prussian education, when you study that out, it was to try to draft them to be, uh, or to, um, not to be divergent thinkers, but to be conformists and to sort of like the, the North Korea education and the Korean education, you know? Okay. To serve Kim Jong-un. You with me? I'm with you. You with me? One one thing. I'm a student in anthropology. Okay. And I stay on top of it. And I am looking at a lot of reports. I read the treatises, not the popular stuff on it. 
And I note that when you find the 30, 40, 50,000 year old male skeleton in Africa or Europe or Asia, there are a lot of broken bones that have healed because the males lived a very rough life. You don't find that same kind of physical but recovered from damage in the female skeletal remains. So in other words, when you were a man, you had to go hunt and you had a stick with a rock on the end of it and you're hunting anything from a few hundred pounds to 16, 17,000 pound mammoth, a mastodon. And somebody had to have your back because your life was not long if you did not have someone watching your sick. So there was a thing about courage and bravery. Mm -hmm. Being able to take on something many, many times your size if you wanted to put on a summer barbecue, so to speak. And that's in us. So we need to take that into context when we start talking about change. Now, there is a good part of that, too. Yeah, well, I think we more more or less demonize now. Back in the day, we used to romanticize the masculine trait, you know, damsel in distress, she needs saving. Yeah. Go in there, save her, damsel in distress. Now because of the feminist movement, there's no such thing as a damsel in distress. So, I've got a beautiful wife here. Now, if my house was getting burgled, my house is getting burgled, you know. I can hear someone walking around downstairs, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm a ve- I'm I'm for equality. I'm 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 for I'm for women to have rights too. So okay, I'm gonna send my woman. <laughs> I'm gonna send my wife downstairs to confront the burglar, and then I'll I'll get her to tell me when everything's okay. <laughs> so so there is there is there is a certain expectation for a man to go down the stairs first. And for the woman to say, hey, babe, is everything okay? Then the, man, then, then the woman to go downstairs. And then a the man's upstairs drinking a cocoa, waiting for everything to be resolved. Another true story. I was at a work conference before. And it was a proper Europeanized, no, European female feminist. And she was like, I'm, you know, like all that kind of, you know, uh, borderline, want to be a man mentality. And she, I think one day I opened the door for her, you know. So she's walking behind me and I opened the door. I said, come on through, you know, bit of courtesy. And she goes, oh, don't open the door for me. I'm a woman. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Then at the same, later on, a few weeks later, there was a work conference and there was a banquet of food, yeah? And you have to line up, you know, in a formal line. And um, she's like, she's like, do you mind if I go in front of you? I was no, I said, mm no, like, you know, like, you're a woman, you, you're your own woman, man, you're your own woman. <laughs> so it just goes to show, like, where do you draw the line? And there's a, a theologian by the name of C.K. Chesterton, and he said, before you remove a fence, ask why it was put there. So a lot of people are trying to break down these fences, but no one, stud- no one studying why the fence was put there to begin with. You got what I'm trying to say? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd break it down like this. If you walked in and saw a free-roaming lion mm-hmm. and you weren't assured that it was a trained or tamed lion, you'd be worried about it. See, when women used to look at men, they'd see untamed lions and they would have a good, healthy dose of fear. 
But on the other hand, they knew that the lion would put all of his awesome power at their disposal if they coaxed the lion into doing it. So what's going on is the lion is the lion who is fearful, but the woman has something that the lion wants. Mm. And I would say all throughout human history for straight guys, it's been mostly a matter of getting the means for the pursuit, acquisition, and enjoyment of a certain something that solely human women possess. Women are essentially a life support system for that thing, so you've got to treat them nicely so you can get what you want when you want it and get the nice. There are some differences in outlooks between men and women. It's got to do with biology. Women hate it when guys refuse to ask for directions. And guys hate it when women want to spend all day shopping. Well, the all-day shopping sprees are out gathering fruits and vegetables and comparing the shade of green and red and yellow with what's ripe and what's not. And the refusal to ask for directions is a biological thing because we had to find the game trail to pass over into the next valley to find the uh, way back and a whole lot of other things. That's what we do. And there is this other thing, too. If you like what you do, you'll never go to work a day in your life, Mm. even though you're earning good money doing what you do. Mm. So we, for the overwhelming portion of our existence on this planet, have not only been hunters, but more importantly, we've been protectors. I used to have this argument with some of the producers on my show. And where the show was located or where they did it was on a place that was right next to the 101 or Hollywood Freeway in Los Angeles. Okay. Venice and uh, Sunset Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I pulled out an old report from the Spanish that talked about the number of people who had been killed right in that area by grizzly bears. California has a grizzly bear on its flag. Okay. And that used to be a problem for the Spanish settlers. You could get killed and eaten by one of these bears. <laughs> so now in the area, everybody's walking around in their shorts and flip-flops and having a good time touring the Hollywood area or going through on a studio tour, and it's safe. And the question is, what is the difference between then when there was something out there that wanted you for lunch, dinner, or a midnight snack, and now it's a parking lot where you can get out of your car and go have a good time and don't have to worry about anything. See, that's that other aspect of masculine humanity. What they're trying to talk now, about. you do not have that disappearing overnight just in 45 years because somebody wants it to when they live in a safety bubble where there are no dangers that affect them, where they're reasonably fear from want, and that's a bubble that probably won't exist for another century, if not another 40 years due to global warming and some other problems, famine, droughts, and increasing population. See, that's a reality, and you mentioned it, but I put it this way. Um, 
women are talking about, I don't need a man, I can do anything else. I said, okay, it's fine. You got your master's degree, you got the MBA, you're in your early 30s, you don't need a man, and you're having a nice time in life. You have just got yourself uh, a new car, your BMW is a nice one, and you live in this two-story uh, condominium or townhouse, and you were reading this nice novel, and you've been sipping on some Chablis, and you know you've got an important meeting in the office tomorrow at 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock, so you smile in anticipation of how well prepared you are. You turn the light on. Mm. Few minutes later, let's say 2.17 a.m. in the morning, you wake up to the sound of broken glass downstairs. Now, wouldn't you like to have a capable, competent man with the right attitude nearby to go look at what's going on downstairs rather than you having to go deal with it yourself? Another exactly. thing that I would put this way is, well, women know martial arts. I said, yeah, but I've been taking martial arts for 55 years. And one of my good buddies is one of my instructors, uh, Master Stewart, I mentioned. He's got 14 black belts in karate. He's 10th Dan in nine of them. He's a kung fu grandmaster, judo, jiu-jitsu, black belts. He's got something called within arm for each hell. Uh, five members of SEAL Team 6 when they did the Bin Laden raid or his former students. And he's got something from uh, Indonesia called being a pendecker for Pinyat Silat. There are only three of them in the world. He's the only one under 70 years, under 90 years of age. Mm. So it's like the two of us are 70-some-year-old men. We walk in a room and we can kill most human beings in that room very quickly without a weapon. Or they're usually, I haven't been in a room in a long time, but it's not something that's a good weapon not being in the room that people don't recognize it. So what are you going to do with us when we can kill you if we feel like it, whenever we felt like it, if we didn't care about the consequences, exactly. when you're worried about we need to get rid of all of these guns. I understand your prime minister and the mayor of London are trying to register kitchen knives because they've been used as a murder weapon too often. That's absolutely preposterous. It's a matter of character, not the weapon. You depend upon us being men of good and upstanding character exactly. who make sure nothing happens to their neighborhoods or the people around and about them. So you can't legislate so, yourself out of anything to that extent. There has to be a bit of, like you said earlier, as a man, there has to be a bit of accountability, responsibility, you know, reliability. So you can't legislate, you can't, oh, you can't legislate, you know, to the dunks coming, but there has to be character, like you're saying. And as a man, he has a different character from a woman, and a woman has a different character from a man, but they complement exactly. but, but each other. That's the key thing. They, they compliment each other. Are you with me? Yes. You see the yin-yang, yin-yang symbol where they've got the black side, the white side, and on one side, the black head is real thick and there's a little white tail. And in reverse, that stands for the principle that there are things that men can do real well and women can do a little. And then there are things women do real well that men can do a little. And women can't impregnate and men can't get pregnant. They've got this fluid gender thing, but uh, the one 
ones that are claiming they can't have periods, they don't have uh, you know what menopause, it is. You know what it is as they well. can't get pregnant, yeah. so they're not women. I know this is unpopular, but there it is here too, but it's uh, boys' body bodies with malfunctioning guidance systems. So, you know, another thing that I will say this too, I forgot to mention this. There was a move afoot by the black prototype LGBTs guy back in the 60s to become gay because he opted out of the man-on-man thing, the mono-e-mono thing, so he became another sex object, so he did not have to deal with a potentially lethal confrontation with another male or man who didn't like what he was doing, threatening the order. So it was a cop-out. And by the way, um, you know, you have to get into... You know what? Can we can what we can we can, works. can we look at it a little bit holistically as well? From um like the industrial revolution when everything started to get mechanized. Because before everything was mechanized in the industrial revolution, a man was very much sought after, and likewise a woman was very much so sought after, you know. Um I remember speaking to a lady, actually I'll, I'll leave that example alone. But what I mean by that is, before the Industrial Revolution, you had men that would be doing certain roles in factories or uh, labor or tilling the field, tilling the ground, and you'd need a strong, abled man to bring in those wages. And then conversely, you'd have the woman who would play that, that role of, of, you know, keeping the house, keeping the children, etc., etc. Yeah. So... When you look at the industrial, well, pre-industrial revolution, and you look at the framework of how the house was set up, you with me? Like, a woman really needed a man for protection, because there was no police like that, yeah? And you needed a man to bring home the the, the, <laughs> the vegetarian or bacon. Men don't eat bacon, but you know. You needed them to bring in the food, bring in the protection, and probably bring in other things too. And likewise, with the man who's going out there working, and doing all that mechanics and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You need the woman there to be looking after the children, running the house, making sure everything's honky-dory. So they kind of worked in tandem on a, on, a, on a social level too. Then you have the introduction of machines, and then you have the Industrial Revolution, and then you have, um, like, was it the Johnson um, legislation you said, where good intentions, but then certain things are then um, monopolized, and then it caused a bit of discord because the woman don't really need a man to get bringing the veggie bacon, you know, because she can just have kids and get money. Oh, yeah. And then you don't really need a man for protection because you can just call the police, 999-911, and there's your protection. So certain, certain things have come into place that have had a counterbalance when it comes to the household you see what I'm trying to say? When you look at it historically, I got exactly what you're and saying. You but you see, here you, you're touching on something that's important. Industrialization and technology has sort of smeared some of the gender roles, well, sexual roles, since gender doesn't mean anything the way they've been propagandizing it these days. But here, that's Michael Jackson, by the way. They pushed Michael Jackson because he was. Uh, androgynous he was asexual so that was a precursor to blending this 
gender thing into fluid genders. But you see, what we like to do, what we are inclined to do does have a gender-based role. And it's got some real important characteristics that you can't get away. See, you don't just take one generation and change the nature of the beast. It doesn't work that way. Uh, human males don't have the same synoptic connections between the left brain and the right brain. Yeah, Women have a much richer synoptic connection. So their emotions tend to deal with their objectivity. Now, okay. you mentioned this industrial technology. The U.S. is worst of all. Great Britain is not so bad as the United States, but industrial technology and computerization have made a lot of humans obsolete. And that is people who used physical strength for labor mm. were in demand, but now you have machines and technology replacing them. What do you do with them? See, most industrialized countries have governmental programs to deal with finding an alternative and equally well-paying role for the people that used to be welcomed into the market for their labor and capacity to do labor. Mm -hmm. When you have a problem with that, you have to think of labor as a commodity like wheat, corn, cotton, or whatever it yeah. may be. Mm -hmm. And when you get a commodity glut, there are three things. You store the surplus, subsidize the would-be producer, and cut back production. We have what we call the pipeline between the schoolhouse and the jailhouse. What that is really about is America has bought so deeply into this myth of free enterprise that they refuse to do something governmentally to do anything to address this problem. Mm -hmm. So what you use, the, the prison system, the penal system, the criminal justice system, to get rid of a surplus in labor units. You store the surplus in a jail cell instead of a grain silo. The subsidy is the government check. Cutting back a production is instilling in the youth the wrong attitudes, wrong outlooks. They bang out, drug out. Get knocked up too early, too often, develop inappropriate worldviews, lifestyles. They don't have sufficient education. They don't have vocational skills. They clown around. They do the wrong things. They cause their communities to be chaotic so the community cannot engage in the self-help that you get from collective political activity. And then when they get that first felony conviction, they become almost permanently unemployed. And meanwhile, they become a distraction to the good guys in the population who will become very concerned about the crime problem. So people promise to be tough on some kind of crime and get elected, and people ignore their bankrupt economic policies. So uh, people don't think. For example, you've got Brexit. Now, as a student of history, not in Britain, I would say for 400 years, Great Britain has attempted to get where they were five years ago. They were continuously setting up alliances with this, that, and the other person, or not person, with uh, nation state, 
in Europe, and they were bringing to the table their power as a sea power, mm-hmm. the Royal Navy, mm-hmm. and all that that meant toward control of worldwide commerce and the intercourse in raw goods and finished material. Mm-hmm. So then some people, for an emotional reason, they decide to bail out of something that Britain spent 400 years trying to set up. Now you got a somewhat of a mess. So I guess people are satisfied that you won't have foreign influence. Uh, you won't have people coming in from outside taking jobs, even though from my remote look, it looks like uh, jobs were picking up and your unemployment level was getting lower, but some people didn't see it that way because of xenophobia. Exactly, 100%. So you have a crime rate that at one time looked like it was going down. You've got strict gun control, but yet your murder rate is going up either through smuggled in firearms, which come in along with the drugs, by the way, and people can't stop the drug trafficking. And now the mayor of London and your prime minister are hollering about registering kitchen knives, which is the most preposterous nonsense <laughs> I've ever heard. You know if what? There's one you know what? tool that separates humanity from everything else. It's knives, whether it's made out of flint, stone, copper, bronze, iron, steel, or whatever it may be. It's knives. You know what? No. So, you know what it is in England? Hey. A big thing in England, yeah, when it comes to the youth, especially. Like you said before about not having purpose or not having something to do and being idle. A major thing that they've done that I've noticed that's kind of changed the social landscape is they've got rid of community centers. So where you'd have that, I don't know if you have community centers in America, but a community center is where there's a... We do. We do. Yeah, so... Yeah, so there used to be loads of community centers to get the kids to integrate, to, you know, you know... uh, you can know who's in your community, go on trips, go on, go on vacations together or whatever. But I've started to get rid of all those things due to austerity, due to taxation, due to Brexit, all these little isms and schisms. They've kind of chucked them away. So I always say, if you follow the ingredients to make a cake, you know, you've got the ingredients in front of you. You pull it in the mixing bowl. Yeah, you pull it in the oven. Don't be surprised when you get a cake. So if you're putting those conditions, in a certain place, yeah, don't be surprised when that thing manifests because it's social engineering to a degree, but nevertheless, everyone has a character as a man to be able to, you know, be responsible, accountable, etc. But I would also just submit that a lot of things are being socially engineered to cause um, instability, to then create xenophobia, to then cause all these um, politicians to be able to get elected to combat immigration, to please the xenophobia people. And that's just politics, you know, left and right, left wing, right wing, it's the same bird. But, you know, the common people, they'll just war over anything. And the politicians love it because it keeps them in position. And no one really questions what's going on outside of what they can see. You see what I'm trying to say? Um, oh, I, I got you completely. So that's that's a major thing at the moment. Agenda. Exactly. They have their rights. And as long as they're in the bedroom doing their thing, that's their right to do it. But I find it very strange 
that whereas you cannot teach children six, seven, five, four, eight, nine years old human sexuality, heterosexuality, mm. you can teach them homosexuality. I have found it passing strange that how a person has sex has something to do with their status in society. I mean, like, uh, maybe we should have a pride week or month for those who like to do it missionary style or doggy <laughs> style or whatever it may be. Oh, I mean, yeah. it just sounds absolutely preposterous. That's nobody else's damn business. Keep it to yourself. Mm. As long as you have removed criminal sanctions for what you do in your own bedroom, that ought to be enough, not giving people certain privileges to be mm. free from uh, hurt because somebody talked about me. You know, like, Oh my God, he was bullied online. How the hell are you going to bully somebody <laughs> online? He killed himself. Well, get rid of the weak thing, you know? We don't need him any damn way. Uh, we used to have the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. When I was in elementary, junior, and high school as a kid, we used to pass the time by doing what they call running the dozens. What's running the dozens? Hey, man, I don't want to say nothing, man, but Last night when I was over there with your mama while you were sound asleep, man, we was, you know, well, hey, man, I don't want to say nothing, man. Your mama's so fat, man. She ain't so big. She can't get in the bathtub and leave nothing but room for two drops of water and get washed, man. That's why she's so funky all the time. Oh, you know, so we used to do that for sport. Now, mm. oh, my God, he talked about the child's mother. Well, so what? You know what I was going to say? There is a saying, though, it says, um, Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Yeah, so there's extremes on both on both sides. I'm not trying to feminize the conversation. Yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, feminize what you're saying. Yeah, life and death is in the power of the tongue. If I say to my boys, deal with him, he'll get dealt with. If I say don't deal with him, he won't get dealt with. So what you speak has, has, has the potential to manifest, yeah? But nevertheless, we're supposed to be like able to have a conversation and to disagree and agree and, you know, without going and committing suicide and, and them kind of things. Well, yeah. You with me? But see, you got to toughen kids up like you do calisthenics, push-ups, sit-ups to get tough physically. Mm. You have to deal with the same kind of thing Absolutely. mentally. Now, Absolutely. here's the thing. Um, when I was a kid, all through from kindergarten, which is the earliest for five-year-olds in America, uh, through the 12th grade, which you're 17 or 18 when you get out of the 12th grade. There were protocols and there were rituals. When you're six or seven, if somebody five years old mis disrespected you, you slapped him across his head. You know, if you're five or six and you disrespected somebody older than you, you got slapped across the head. So you learn how not to do that. Mm -hmm. If somebody was on your same level, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, then you had a non-lethal dominance combat, all right? You shook hands afterwards, you may or may not have become friends, all right? But by the time you got grown, you can learn, you have learned that there are certain things you do or do not say to someone if you want to be peaceful. Mm. Certain protocols you have, and quite frankly, look at feudal Europe mm. and the respect that mm. the warriors, that is the knights, men in arms, etc., had for each other. Lord Bullington is just to your satisfaction, sir. It okay. is, my lord. 
Okay. You know, or, you know, the Japanese samurai oh, yeah. bowing to the Lord the and to each other, or even in the American Wild West, partner, is that a slap, or did I just misinterpret what you're saying there? Well, sir, I meant no slide. I was merely trying to express my confusion. Well, with that understanding, sir, there's no offense taken. Otherwise, a slap level agree, we're going to meet it high noon on You know street. what? There's a saying. There's a so, saying. There's a saying in Jamaica, yeah. Tongue and cheek must meet. Tongue and cheek must meet. So sometimes you're going to say something and it's not going to go down too well and the recipient's going to be offended. But, you know, you get over it, you know? You don't you don't go in a corner and, and go all crazy. Wrap your mind about those concepts. Uh, maybe I shouldn't hold it against you. And by the way, if you're that dumb, why don't you stop having more kids out of wedlock you can't you. support so we don't have any more and we're not here big for math. dummies we're here running around being a big dummy like you. I'm not no big dummy. You already proved it. I'm not no big dummy. No, I'm not. What's math have to do with it? Exactly. What does math have to do with why we're here? We're not here to take a G. Because you can't add up what's going on here. You don't get all right, can we get back in with the case? Oh, and you got a bad, nasty temper, too. Come on. Well, at least you can be polite and sweet yeah. about it. If you're dumb, I mean, the dummies get back and at least try to be quiet so they don't get in anybody's way. Dumb. All right, let me ask a few questions. So, you know your, your show, yeah? When you, was, when you was Judge Joe Brown on TV, I, what I can remember is, um, I can remember Judge Judith. Thought, is it Judge Judith? Or Judge, what's her name? Is it Judge? Judge Judy Shine. Her. So was she the predecessor, or was she, was, did she come before you or after you? What she did is she started 18 months before me. There was a guy named Peter Brennan that came up with it. He was from Australia. My ex from Australia, <laughs> Sydney, my television here. Uh, yeah, I got a friend to say, but he was serious. <laughs> okay. So what had happened, there's an interesting story. Aaron Spelling had Spelling Enterprises, and he hired this guy named Larry Little to be his CEO. Larry Little is an obnoxious character, and he fired him within a week, but uh, Little had a no-cut contract, so he sent him down to sit down, and after him collecting a paycheck for six months doing nothing, he incorporated an entity known as Big Ticket Television. So he hired this guy on the recommendation of Rupert Murdoch, an individual by the name of Peter Brennan from Sydney. So okay. he looked at Judge Wapner, and he had been the beat reporter in Sydney in the courts. So he came up with resurrecting court shows, so he recruited Judy. And at that same time, Aaron Spelling bought Moesha. Okay, okay, okay. From a woman we call Lucy, who was the only female CEO of CBS. She had put it together and CBS didn't want it. So Spelling bought that. And then Judy started wanting extra money and they were trying to frighten her away from that. So they brought me in and I got my foot in the door and then they did the Parkers. So Spelling wound up selling the whole thing to Viacom and they assigned it to Paramount and then later to CBS. 
So toward the end, it was in the same unit under a guy named Roger King, okay. who had King World. He brought in Oprah, whom he had uh, picked out of an audition I wonder uh, why. about 350 <laughs> women. I, I, and I wonder he why. picked her and was managing her, so he brought her in. And he also brought in Dr. Phil that he had discovered, and CBS by then, or Viacom, gave him me and Judy. Okay. Now, I'll give you something about this whole thing about straight and black men. Hold up, for, hold up, for, few hold, hold, straight hold, black hold, men hold, in hold, Hollywood. Wait a minute, please hold up, for The reason I asked that question, you know, is because I thought that you were, I thought that for some reason, I thought that you were first, Judge Joe Brown. And then they kind of feminized the judge thing and then brought in Judy. That's what I thought. I thought like... No, well, here's what they did do. Okay. All while I'm doing this, they're trying to replace me with a woman. And this is CBS <laughs> that's got a successful show. Okay. They're stealing money from me that I'm supposed to get as part of the back end. Millions of dollars. Telling me I ought to take an IOU so they can use the money to start the thing with some woman or another. So anyway, never worked. But here's the thing. To show you what they were doing about that whole bit about womanization, the last four years I had to show, I'm in the same unit with Judy, Oprah, Phil, and uh, myself. Mm -hmm. Now, for the last four years, I beat Phil every week in the ratings, and I beat Oprah Winfrey every week in the ratings and half the time I was beating Judge Judy in the ratings until every time I started doing that it changed the rating schedule to her so she'd stay ahead. I, they wa- I wonder not why. want a straight black man with the number one television program in America. No how, no way. They were saying I was the second highest person in television behind Judge Judy. And I should have been in front of her because I was making Viacom more money than she was. But that's what they were doing about this whole thing of a feminization. And they got all of these other female judges. They got a bozo at the time from Texas that didn't know how to law halfway. They got one guy who was uh, a Latino, Judge Alex. He's all right guy. He had been a cop at one time. And then they got a uh, Judge Mathis. But that was a special case. Uh, I won't go into that. They wanted some real black street cred. And he had been a gang member. And I don't like gangs. Mm. So some notices keep popping up on the screen. But anyway, what was going on is they kept trying to feminize the genre. So one of the reasons I left them is we had a contract dispute. And quite frankly, it was just down to, if you're going to stay with us, you're going to push this feminist agenda. Mm. I said, you can go to hell, I'm not. And you're going to push this hell, no, you can go to hell, I'm not. So I walked away from a very, 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 very lucrative position. Mm, mm, mm. Making a lot of money Mm -hmm. for the corporate entity because I wouldn't push that agenda that was so damn strong. Mm. Now, that's how bad it was. So most people would like the show, but they didn't realize it was the number one show. Some places, so, 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 would go crazy so, to take so. my picture. And his partners would say, why are you taking his picture? That's the number one TV show the last <laughs> month. What? Who is he? So, see, 
Well, he's had a show for 13 years. You haven't heard of him? See, CBS would hide it. Do you know they wouldn't even put me in TV Guide in Los Angeles? They own, CBS owned every billboard in Los Angeles, and they would not put me on a billboard. You know what? They refused uh, because they did not want me to succeed because they had all of these people that were 16, 17 years old, 19 years old when my show started. Now we're in their young 30s and we're executives. They couldn't claim anything. So they kept trying to bring in a woman to replace me, and nobody wanted that because they had enough. And see, they've got all of these women who are coming in as the judge on the bench who've got three years' experience. You know, you're a neophyte in your early 30s. What the hell do you know about life? You know, what do you know about so, law? So are you saying... See, I was in my 50s. So are you, are you saying, are you saying you was like the Bill Cosby of TV judges? Yes, and let me tell you about that, what they tried to do that's filthy with that hashtag Me Too nonsense. My show hadn't been going but a month and a half, and they had an affair at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, which is a big hotel in uh, yeah, yeah. L.A., yeah, yeah. and I'm a bachelor, so I'm dancing with all of these pretty girls, and finally I get to talking to one. We sit down at a table, yep. sitting there, conversing for a while. She gets up to go to the ladies' room. She comes back and says, you know that guy, in the tall guy in the gray suit? I said, Yeah. Said so he walked up and offered me two thousand in cash if I'd sign a note saying you were trying to feel on me. Say wait a minute. Say that again. Say that again. Say that again. Say that again. He offered me two thousand in cash if I'd sign a note saying you were trying to feel on me. You about so you. we went about around you. and about found you. all of the rest of the women I dealt with, me and this woman. About you. And we got signed statements from them that they had been approached for this. About you. So about you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wow. me. What I did is I hired this beautiful woman who was from Mississippi. She wound up being Rupert Murdoch's personal lobbyist. And she and I uh, went around and we set up this trap for them. We created a fictitious woman and filed all of these affidavits dealing with the stages that we are going through to set this up and what we're doing. So finally, they want to haul me in in front of human resources about me trying to feel up on this woman and all this other stuff. And they presented a signed letter from this fictional woman. So I said to them, bring over the sealed envelopes with the notarized statements on how we set them up. So they stayed there for six more weeks before all of them were gone. But that was back in 2000. Wow. So they were trying to do that For 20 long. years ago to set me up to be compromised. So they would do this kind of thing over and over. And there wasn't a single day on the set Yo. where I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm streetwise and I'm also a yeah. criminal lawyer. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yo, yo. I got the two eight-year terms as a judge, yeah. criminal state judge, trial judge in Tennessee. So... I'm looking at all of this and saying, oh, my goodness, why don't they stop? I see this. So, I mean, this went on for for eight, for 15 years. Okay. Just over and over. And they, what you get is a lot of bisexual women who are light on career talents, who decide they're going to jumpstart their careers by having sex with somebody. And then some years later, they run into Gloria Allred, who is a lesbian. And she and her lesbian daughter talk to them and say, honey, it's all your fault. These no good men are responsible. Years later, they run into Gloria Allred, who is a lesbian. 
And she and her lesbian daughter talk to them and say, honey, it's all your fault. These no good men are responsible. Is a lesbian. And she and her lesbian daughter talk to them and say, honey, it's all your fault. These no good men are responsible for you failing. So now they're mostly lesbian instead of bisexual. So they want to blame all the men that they had sex with trying to advance their career. Now, what was really going on from the 70s on was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. roll. Movies, anything Joe, else. Joe. And some oh. of those women that were on that Vanity Fair uh, cover accusing Cosby, I had seen at some of these Hollywood parties when I'd go back and forth to L.A., and they'd walk into a place, and they would be see-through, no bra on under the sheer top. Give them half hour of snorting coke and drinking, and the tops would come off and they're walking around topless. Within an hour, they're running around with G-string panties on and then maybe nothing but a gold chain. And you can't go in a bathroom because they're in there going down on somebody or you go to get your coat and they're on top of it having sex with somebody. And they keep coming back and now they're complaining about they got used and abused. Are you that saying? Are you saying couch thing is real? But let me tell you what it is now in Hollywood. Why is it? It's boy on boy and girl on girl instead of boy girl now. You know what? You know what? You know what? When we keep, you know what? <laughs> I know. I, you know what? I don't want to get you. I don't want you get. I don't want you to get into trouble, like because I know when people are saying they, I know you know. I I unequivocally, unapologetically know the they, and they they know me too. They know. I'm not going to say any more than that. Like, I know the they, and I know you know the they, so I'm not going to say who they are because they know who they are. And obviously, they're the ones who control the narrative, the media, they have the monopoly on the media, the monopoly on the press, and they write the narratives and they cut the checks. So we know who they are, which is very interesting to see and hear how it all goes because it just seems like they're setting up a scene and a stage. Yeah. They're giving people, um, in, in the Bible account, there's a guy called Yusuf, an Egyptian woman, and she tries to sleep with him but because of his manhood and his, mas and his masculinity and his accountability. He denies her because she's married to another man. So he says, I'm not going to compromise with you because one, you're already married, and two, I don't want to, you know, as a man, I don't want to commit adultery with, my, with someone else's wife, yeah? So what I'm, I'm saying all that to say this, it's like they purposefully engineer a scenario where you're going to have men in a certain situation. A lot of them are narcissistic as well because they're celebrities or they've got a certain spotlight on them. Then you mix that with darkness and, and music because, you know, nightclub scene or, or, a, or a conference setting. Yeah. And then you mix that with some ladies, you're going to get a bit of compromise in it. And it's like they get people in that compromised state. And even if they haven't compromised, there's people then to bear false witness against them and then to bring against them accusations. Because when you look at Bill Cosby, yeah, and then you look at Harvey Weinstein, there seems to be a dichotomy between the two because Bill Cosby got through under the bus. Now, if he did do it, then he deserves what he got. But if he didn't do it, 
then he obviously doesn't deserve what he got. But then when you look at Harvey Weinstein, there's so many allegations. I don't, know if, I don't want to get you on sticky ground, but when you look at Harvey Weinstein, for example, the, the accusations are there. You have verbatim recordings, and yet nothing's been done. So I know who the they are. I just wanted to clarify. We all know who the they are. So probably so you don't, we don't, we don't get in uh, any trouble and the feed don't get cut. <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about another thing that was brought to well, mind. I, I have one little comment. Yeah, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Go for it, See, man. Go for it. Weinstein is on trial in a large city jurisdiction and the public eye is on the proceedings. And what has happened is that they have had all of the eyes dotted and T's crossed. Mm -hmm. Cosby got a kangaroo court trial. Mm -hmm. As a trial judge, I saw so much wrong with that, including the whole basis for their case. See, when this woman who was the so-called victim on this case he got convicted of, She's so ugly. <laughs> She's ugly, man. Go on. Well, she used to be attractive, but she, she switched to. apparently to being a lesbian. She was a basketball player and was a basketball coach. And okay. as a woman named Williams who quit the WNBA, she said, I can't handle it anymore. I'm a straight woman. And 99% of the women I play with, they're lesbians. And they give me a very hard time for being a straight woman. But aside from that, what happened is she started complaining about him civilly, and then she filed a suit that was in the civil court. She then tried to process a criminal complaint, and Cosby's lawyers said, whoa, under the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, he has a right to remain silent. He cannot be compelled to give evidence against himself in a criminal matter. Well, the DA's office, office, at the time said, we have absolutely no intention of prosecuting Mr. Cause before this. We don't buy it. So they filed a formal paperwork and the civil judge said, well, since there's no Fifth Amendment liability here, the court orders you to answer these questions. And in civil law, you can call the other party as a witness against himself. So that's what's wow. happened. Now, at that point, there is another DA elected, though the office has already given assurances that have compelled Cosby to give a statement against his interest and become a witness against himself. They said, we're going to rescind that. And by the way, while he was relying on that, we're going to take that evidence that he gave against himself and used it against him in a criminal trial. That's a no-no. And that should get that case, if it's fair and impartially treated, kicked out just as being repugnant to American law. Mm -hmm. That is just awful. Mm. And the judge lost complete control of the courtroom. Mm. And I know I was, I brag about this, and all of the judges in the state of Tennessee, over a 10-year period, I had the lowest reversal rate. I had Four partial reversals, other than the James Earl Ray matter. And uh, the next lowest judge was somewhere almost 42 reversals. So when you've got three, four hundred judges in the state, that's not bad. And that thing with James Earl Ray, that's the one that will allegedly kill Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. He did not. I stand.
state that unequivocally. The weapon they claimed that was the murder weapon is not even close. Mm -mm. And that thing with James Earl Ray, that's the one that will allegedly kill Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. He did not. I state that unequivocally. The weapon they claimed that was the murder weapon is not even close. Mm -mm. He had a .30-06 that had some interesting ballistic characteristics that did not match the bullet they pulled out of King's body. <laughs> tell the Those truth, man. They, tell the truth. The bullets they pulled out of King's body matched precisely those peculiar ballistics at the time for what was known as the XM-21. It's an M-14 with a special barrel and some other accuracy-enhancing modifications to it, and that's still used by American forces in Afghanistan to this day. Say no more. Say no 21. more. We know. We know. So, the FBI got five of these things on invoice in late December 1967 and 5,000 rounds of the peculiar ammunition that was used to kill King. Mm. And in late April 1968, the same month King was assassinated, April 4th, the Justice Department under Bobby Kennedy ordered them to return all of these weapons to the Defense Department. Okay. The FBI was forced to do an inventory and they claimed they only had four because they lost the fifth one. So, I mean, it's that's part of the record. And the shot, by the way, if anybody's interested, came from the fire station, not the flop house nor the bushes. It was a two-man hit team composed of American military reservists who were called up. At that point in time, the FBI and organized crime in the U.S. government were at great odds because of what had happened with Castro and their involvement with that. But anyway, other than that, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, of course. So, you know what, though? You had, um, it's common knowledge now, but it wasn't common knowledge at the time. You had a COINTELPRO, which sought to, quote unquote, deal with a black messiah. Now, when they say black messiah, they mean anyone who could galvanize um, a black milita militaristic movement, which is what they feared. They feared. But he couldn't. You had Uncle Mal. A non existent influence in the young black community in 1967 68. Mm -hmm. It was civil rights, and that community, I was part of it not going to get on our knees and let some redneck beat us across the head until he felt guilty about it. We're going to take his hand off. <laughs> but what they were afraid of was that King would galvanize the anti-war movement and revitalize labor. Mm -hmm. Now, at that point in time, uh, Edgar Hoover had built his career on being strongly against communism. was going on and the communists were whipping U.S. Army butt or at least fighting them to a draw. Yeah. They had the Tet Offensive in January uh, 1968 mm -hmm. when General Giap, for a political purpose, showed that uh, Westmoreland was not being candid with the American public with his statements of the condition. These things were going on. We had Kent State where four students were gunned down by some rogue National Guardsmen. Uh, and you had riots all over uh, the United States that were anti-war thing. Like, they haven't had anything like that since. 
So it was really kind of a wild time, and this had also been followed with uh, ordinary street black folk rising up, rioting in various cities, 1964, 65, and 66. And the FBI was really afraid of... Uh, Community unrest and Hoover had this cockamamie theory. You know so, what? You know, you know what? You know what? You know what? It wasn't just J. Edgar Hoover. You know, there's, oh, a, no. there's a guy called Neely Fuller, and he says to understand. Uh, if you don't understand white supremacy, nothing you you will understand will make sense. When you look at it holistically, yeah, holistically. Now, forget America for a minute. Put America on the sideline. You look at Patrice Lubumba. They called him a communist. When you look at Chris Haney, he was probably a communist or going with communist thought. Then there was a guy by the name of... Jomo Kenyatta and all of that. Yeah, Samora. You had Samora Samora Moses Macau. He was um, the president of Mozambique. And ironically, he died in a plane crash. Yes, you had Sasha Moses Machau, first president of Mozambique. And he allegedly... Died in a, a plane. Well, he, he died in a plane, so that's not allegedly. But how he died in that plane, it could be, you know, sinister, nefarious, for want of a better word. But it was a global agreement with the higher echelon that communism was the buzzword to take somebody out. If you're a communist, you're like Fidel Castro. You're like, you're going to be like Patrice Lubumba. You're going to be like Chris Haney. You're going to be like um, Samora Moses Michelle. Of, of Mozambique. So it was a unilateral, uniformal agreement that communism was the buzzword that could take you out. Now it's black extremist. There's certain buzzwords that they use and lexicon that they use to profile people to then bring them to the gallows. So, you know, like terrorist or, or black extremist or, or a communist. Check it out, man. Like the the, the rap, the the. Oh the, look, son, you've been doing your reading. I was there when all of this stuff developed. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about Mozambique and some things like that? 1973, myself and some other people, we were raising money for Fralamo, the gorillas over there. Hey, we ran into all kinds of partners with uh, problems with the state compartment. We had an airliner full of combat boots, and they seized them. So then we couldn't send material goods, so we started raising money. And, you know, all kinds of things were going on. The FBI would haul in anybody in the BSU who was trying to be active or the Panther Party. You'd get hauled in uh, three, four, five times every six months and interrogated about what you were up to. And I just basically had to answer, go to hell exercising my First Amendment right. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Go to hell, First Amendment. You know, take the fifth. You yeah. know, drop dead. You know, I don't like you. You know. <laughs> I mean, it, it got wild, see. And what you have to understand is Nazi Germany, in terms of its propaganda, was modeling itself on America. You know what it modeled itself on? Then the, 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 the uh, Nambia genocide. I don't know if you know about the Herero. Wait, 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 wait. Yo. See, you have to comprehend. They've got this thing about the Jewish Holocaust during World War II. <laughs> Six and a half million Jews got killed. Okay. Conservative estimates set it at a minimum of about 
35 million Africans were killed on the Middle Passage and as high as 180 million. So America is responsible for the worst genocide on the planet's history. The other thing is, is it has a military, cultural, and political history that Europe pays little attention to in that it was its dealings with Native Americans. And basically that was unconditional surrender, no quarter asked, take your own life, save the last bullet for yourself, whether you were Indian or, or Native American. 100%, or you were 100%, a cavalry trooper. 100%. So that's the experience that the U.S. has with that kind of thing. And they bring that to the table. Now, when you talk about African experience and tribalism and so on, you have an entity over there that your queen gives um, a royal monopoly to. It's Oppenheimer de Beers. I had a murder trial in my courtroom almost 30 years ago. Seven individuals had taken out a mining permit from the U.S. government, and they got a strike on a diamond vein, all right? And Oppenheimer De Beers visited them and told them this is what they were going to take. They told Oppenheimer De Beers to go to hell. Well, what happened was is Oppenheimer De Beers sent four hitmen over here from South Africa. This is like it. 1990, 89-90, and they murdered four of the seven outright. They shot up the fifth man and were getting ready to shoot him in the head when some local police on a domestic call next door came over and the hitmen threw the weapons on the ground. We went through three weeks worth of trial and we heard about how 99.999 etc of the diamonds in the world were in the De Beers vaults and how they had to maintain a monopoly because on a fair market value considering how common carbon is and diamonds hmm. a million dollar diamond would be worth about $8,000 instead of a million and most of that would be due to the cutting and shaping aspect, the art of it so we break on Saturday afternoon because this is a lockup jury, what they call sequestered jury, mm -hmm. but we can't start back to trial on Monday because the State Department has come in over the weekend, gotten the four defendants out of jail, put them on a Navy transport, flown them from Memphis all the way back to South Africa, giving them diplomatic immunity. See, that is one of the things that goes on, and we got into the motivation the intent behind the homicides, and we were advised that to a great extent when Africa was suffering from so-called tribalism, what actually was going on is Oppenheimer to Beers was just playing to one would-be faction, you know, this is what we've got to give you for the diamond, go for this, and we'll prop you up. If you don't, you want something more for them than what's going to happen is we'll prop up your rival. So we will take you down. Was it like was it like was it like the Tutsis? of tribalism? Was it like the Tutsis and the Hutus? 
in that kind of way. Like they just used a bit of yeah. like in other words, it was a Dodge Oppenheimer to Beers propagandized as being tribalism. Absolutely. When actually it was their machinations behind the scene. Okay. Okay, cool. That's wicked. So let me get a next question out. One second, where's my questions gone? Oh man, give me two seconds. Loads of things popping up. Uh, okay, don't close that. Cancel that. Oh yeah, there's a there's a recent controversy. Um, I understood, I believe, the perspective that you were talking about when you said about Harriet Tubman on the twenty dollar bill. They try they try to throw you they try to throw you under the bus. Because obviously they're coming with the feminist agenda. Now I understand historically and holistically, I believe the point and the argument that you're trying to convey. But I want you to say what you have to say on that, and then I'm going to interrupt. Um, intermittent the, the Breakfast Club, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah. the Breakfast Club is, they're easy enough to deal with. I just challenged them to a one-on-one -on -one debate, either me against the three of them on neutral ground, or me against one-on-one, -on -one, each of them in sequence, to mm. place of their choosing. Choosing. That might be worked out by BET, I don't know. But what's going on is Harriet Tubman was a brave and courageous lady. The only thing is, is I'm sure she would not personally have liked to have had her legacy used to negate one half of the black race. I think, wait there, one second. I think I think YouTube's messing with the feed. Just give it two seconds just to uh, balance out. <laughs> They're going to mess with this feed anyway. They, they, you know what? I, bro, you know what? I say they mess with. I already, listen, I know who, when, when people say they and this and them, I'm like, I, I, me personally, I'm one of the guys who just know. You do know that your picture is frozen on screen. <laughs> so did you started in this, and I can't see you moving anymore. Yeah, it's, I it's, can see me as soon as we mentioned this. You froze. I haven't had a problem with this for the whole time. I can hear you, but I can't see you. It's, it's to be expected. Anytime you mention this, and it's got to do with <laughs> YouTube, there's a problem. Yeah, we, we are, well, we know Leo Cohen. You know, he's intimately connected to YouTube and, and, and some other pleasant people. Well, well, let me tell you what this is. See, the Harriet Tubman Society has invited me to be their keynote speaker. They are not offended because they agree with me that Harriet Tubman is a courageous black woman, would not want her to be, her legacy to be used for disruptive purposes. Now, what this is about is interesting. Mm. 18 years ago, I heard feminists at the Paramount headquarters discussing how they were going to get a woman on some American currency. Mm -hmm. They came up with the idea of picking a black woman. And then the studio came up with the idea of having a white woman play Harriet Tubman. Yes, yes. Even the director of Harriet admits that the studios wanted a white woman initially. And they said it's been so long ago, nobody will remember it. So they didn't have any idea who to deal with. And I even suggested to one of them, I said, if you want a black woman, pick Sojourner Truth, yeah, who okay. back in 1840 escaped from slavery, and she became uh, basically a spokeswoman for the women's suffrage movement. 
So why don't you pick who's uh, Sojourner Truth? They never heard of it. They never heard of even Harriet Tubman. They stumbled on it when somebody wanted to do this movie. So they started plotting, and I heard them, and this was like 2008, 2009, how they were going to slowly get this in place to get her on a dollar bill. And one of their stated objectives is they thought that would drive a wedge between the black man and the black woman. And they said black women need to be protected from black men. And they caused, uh, called us atavistic cavemen in the most brutal form of man, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a move afoot on that. Now, see, don't change the rules. People say dead presidents. Now, everybody on a dollar bill is not a dead president. Ben Franklin, for example. Yeah. And you have Crispus Attucks, the first person even the white folk acknowledged killed during the American Revolution. He was a stevedore in Boston. Mm -hmm. You have Dane Mark Vesey, who has many portraits of him around. He was a well-to-do black carpenter in the Carolinas. And even though he was a free man, he led a revolt with the slaves, and slaves turned him in. You've got Nat Turner. Mm -hmm. You've yep, got Osceola, Chief Osceola, and they disregarded him. And then you've got this situation with Black Superman. Exactly. Uh, who everybody should have had in on this equation. Uh, he helped found the Republican Party in 1851. He escaped from slavery himself, killed a couple of slave hunters. Yep. He helped isolate the South from Europe during the Civil War, American Civil War, so they couldn't get munitions. He is a driving engine behind the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution to deal with ending slavery in the form of slaves. He started the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Colored Infantry, and one of his sons died in the service of that. And they disregard this man for being on a bill. He was a combination Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, mm. Thurgood Marshall, uh, H. Rap Brown, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, and uh, Marcus Garth. So you disregard him. Okay, you have a situation where what about the guy that got the integration or the desegregation game finalized, uh, Thurgood Marshall on the U.S. Supreme Court? What about Martin Luther King himself? Somebody said, well, they got a national holiday after him, so will they have one after Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, too? So how about we get Superman? What's his name? Frederick Douglass. One of my in? grandfathers actually met Frederick Douglass. This grandfather was born in 1852 as a free black. Okay. His grand, his father uh, was from Nigeria. Okay. He had been kidnapped after the slave trade was over, so they had to manumit him or set him free. So the family's always been behind Frederick Douglass, and I think if anybody black is on a bill, that man who had he said he helped found the Republican Party. He helped start the uh, abolitionist movement you know to end slavery. He helped slavery out. He formed the military unit that was very effective. Yep. They even made a movie out of it called Glory, starring Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman. Mm. And, I mean, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. Come on now. Uh, 
and you disregard this man from being put on an so, American currency first, insulting to black people, where you I, change I'm with you, the I'm with you, rules I'm with you. and you want to say, we're going to do two for one, we want this. a woman, so let's give the black folks somebody and let's forget yeah. black man. Yeah. Can I, can I add? So it's interesting that they've had so many years to put Harriet Tubman on a dollar bill if they were going to do it that way and if it was for sincere reasons but it just so happens that the hype or the height or the apex of the feminist movement now they want a blackface which was the thing that they did in entertainment you know to appease people to make people feel happy that there's a blackface you know when it came to racist skits there was a blackface now they want to put a black face to try to polarize and galvanize the feminist movement. So I'm with you and I understood. So when you had like Charlemagne and the Breakfast Club, they're on cold because they paid them and they owned them. So they have their mouthpiece. So when you said what you said, I knew it was going to be taken out of context. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying you'd rather have a, a male first and then one after, for example, like you just said, there was Nate, there was Nate Turner, there was Jemmy, Jemmy Cato of Angola, there was Benjamin Benneker, there's Madison Washington, there's Henry, yeah. there's Henry Box Brown, and then there's Harriet Tubman. There's also a woman 10 years after Harriet Tubman called C Cecilia. And Cecilia How about Sojourner Truth, who and, was 15 years before Harriet Tubman, exactly. and was one of the founders of the women's suffragette movement in the and, United States. And you have I, you have I, oh, German truth. And you How have, about that? Exactly. And you have Ida B. Wells. Ida, Ida B. B. Wells. You see what I'm saying? So so I'm always a bit cynical and a bit skeptical when the oppressor wants to give you your hero or wants to teach you about your heroes because they don't teach you Nate Turner. They don't teach you Patrice Laboomba. They don't teach you Chris Haney. They don't teach you anyone apart from Martin Luther King, which is okay to a degree. But even when they present Martin Luther King to you, they present a, um, a, a very sheepish, very passive, I have a dream only. But they, they failed to mention that he said, I've integrated my people into a burning house. They failed to mention that he also said, we're coming to get our check. They also failed to mention that in one of his last speeches, he said, don't let anybody take your manhood. In one of his last speeches, he said, don't let anybody take your manhood. And then when he went to protest down in America, a lot of, mans, a lot of men were holding signs saying, I am a what? I am a man. So we see well, how, we see how. Yeah, but let, let, let's get real. Uh, Martin Luther King was a spokesman. The one that did the real work of getting rid of official segregation was Thurgood Marshall. He's the one that had a long series of cases he took at great peril. One thing in the difference between Martin Luther King and Thurgood Marshall is Thurgood Marshall was known for borrowing a local resident's 12-gauge shotgun when he went to the area to go do the civil rights stuff. And he was known for jacking up racist Klansmen, white citizen council types with a baseball bat. I mean, he got physical. The brother was down. So he's the one that masterminded the cases that led up to Brown v. Board of Education in 1954 
which, you know, basically predates most of what Martin Luther King is known for. So he's the man that did the groundwork. All Martin Luther King did is talk. Marshall did the work. Okay. See, he what? strategized this thing. Let me tell you what on, he strategized. Up until the middle of the 20th century, there were no civil rights laws on the book. Do you know what they used? The SPCA laws, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. <laughs> so Thurgood Marshall got this idea that if you couldn't do it to a dog, you couldn't do it to a Negro. Mm. And then let's not forget the 332nd Air uh, Wing, the fighter group operating out of Tamatelli, Italy in World War II. They came out of Tuskegee. They were all black. And now guess what? The U.S. Defense Department acknowledges that for the last nine months of the law, a year war in Europe, guess which fighter wing had the highest score on? It was a 332nd. In other words, the black airmen shot down more Germans than any other group in Europe for the last nine months of the war. Mm -hmm. They've got a gentleman by the name of Roscoe Brown, who is still around. He's a retired professor emeritus from the University of New York, New okay. York uh, City University. Mm -hmm. He was captain in the 332nd. Now that they have got the German records and they've been doing computer back checks, he is listed as the second highest scoring U.S. ace in Europe in World War II. Black man, remember? We weren't supposed to be able to operate complex machinery. 1946, excuse me, 1946, 47, and 48, the Tuskegee Airmen won the first three red flag fighter competitions in the U.S. Army Air Force and then U.S. Air Force. Harry Truman signed Executive Order 1981 integrating the American Armed Services. He said, you say these colored boys can't do it, but they've been kicking all of your behinds down here in this fighter competition. And I hear they're the only escort group that accomplished their mission. What do you mean? Your job with the escort units was to make sure no bombers got shot down. They're the only Air Force unit that has a perfect record. There was never a bomber under their escort shot down by air-to-air -air action. So they outscored you, they outcompeted <laughs> you, head up. And now, you know, 75 years removed, they're listing a black man as the second highest scoring U.S. Air Force ace in World War II in Europe. So... See, they set the stage. They had a composite group that they were expanding into where they brought in bombers. They moved up to Detroit. And what happened with the riots and insurrections that were caused by what they tried to do to them up there got in Thurgood Marshall, uh, all of the black civil rights folk from you know, the late 40s who moved over into the 50s and started the whole American civil rights thing. So, see, to use Martin Luther King, who was a figurehead, a good spokesman, a fine man. But you see, you were allowed to abdicate, abnegate, negate all of these contributions by these other people. And by the way, Thurgood Marshall was the first black on the U.S. Supreme Court. He did damn good work. Now, this character you've got on there with due respect, Clarence Thomas, He's a self-hating somebody who, frankly, is not contributing anything to the American jurisprudential scene except be on there and he used to back up Anthony Scalia and have his law clerks 
write whatever he issued. So, I mean, see, we negate these people. And to take some woman, brave as she was, mm. who escorted maybe 200, 250 slaves to mm. freedom, mm. you miss out on these people, Frederick Douglass, so, so you're who saying, were responsible so, for the freedom of tens of millions of black yes, folks. 100%. Thurgood Marshall, who set the stage for the black man in America not having any official oppressive legislation against him or laws against him. See, and when you negate these people, it's like, what are you trying to say about black folk? You're trying to say, you're trying to in, in incorporate into the psyche that their savior is a woman, a woman. Exactly. You know, like we were saying earlier about in a lot of cartoons that we grew up on, you'd have the damsel in distress. So when you yeah. flip that psyche and you make young men see the hero of their people as a woman and their men, it damages the psyche. Not only that, we've had many a plethora, like I said, Jemmy Cato, Nate Turner, the list continues. Frederick Douglass also did a tremendous work in Scotland because unbeknownst to a lot of people, Scotland was very much involved in the slave trade. In fact, interestingly, Ku Klux Klan, the etymology of Klan, Goes right back to Scotland. Yeah? So the immigrants that left Scotland from. Sorry, man. Yeah, and see, redneck, that's a term of derision in America. That's from the Scottish ones who wore the red scarves before they went over there and immigrated to America to show that they were, what is it, uh, Presbyterians, uh, good Presbyterians instead of uh, Episcopalians, and certainly not Catholics. That's where you get the term from. Yeah. So, yeah, Frederick Douglass came over there. See, these you take a man with that kind of national impact, and I would say in the scheme of things, since the country was a lot bigger then, of greater import to the country than somebody like Ben Franklin was, and they got him on a $50 bill. Hmm. So you disregard somebody like that. And so, say, oh, we're going to, yeah. so, so, you know, so, so we want a woman so you guys can sacrifice. It's like it, it, the thing in America is instead of hiring a black man, you get a black woman. Yo, yo, judge, judge. On that point, you know, I, I used to work in construction, yeah? And I saw that firsthand. I saw it firsthand because over here there's a thing called, you know, equality, diversity. But when they talk about equality and diversity, they don't really talk about the Negro. They just talk about the homosexual community and, and feminist views and, and prohibition, yeah? But even the feminist argument is not really pitched for liberation of non-whites. It's for the white lady to get some leverage over the white man. That's pretty much why it is in a nutshell. But what I saw in construction... What I saw in construction was they would hire a black woman, especially, so they tick the ethnic box and they tick the um the the, the female the female box so the cupboard so all I need to do is hire you know and that was the the thing that they did so job positions that were for a man they would give it to the woman especially a black woman because then they can tick two boxes so I saw that firsthand but going back to the um the Tuskegee 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 yeah yeah so they Tuskegee always... Alabama <laughs> Alabama. And see, my mother was a librarian there at that place, uh, that university at one time, too. Okay, okay. For a while. So they've always pitched the Negro as infantile. And even when he came out of slavery, he had a, he had a, he had a, 
he had a kind of infantile mind because of the, the trauma that he had experienced and they tried to keep him like that. Hence why they always called the enslaved man a boy. They was always saying, you're a boy, you're a boy, you're a boy. And then certain music like jazz and other, other music kind of uplifted the status of, of, of um, the culture because in jazz music, they heavily used to say, hey man, hey man, hey man. And there was a lot of reinforcement on man because for a period of time, they were known as boy and they could only say boy. Would you agree with that statement? Yes, yes. See, here, here's a bad thing. Uh, in practical reality, what they've done to mess this country up, Exhibit A, for 50 years they've had a take your son to work week, take your daughter to work week. They've never had a take your son to work week. Now, pragmatically, the Labor Department releases these statistics, also health, education, and welfare. For the last 20 years in America, only 28% of each year's high school graduates are male. That includes all races. Only 32% of the college undergraduates are male. Only 36% of the college grad students are male. And this is really weird. Only 44% of the workforce is male. The Defense Department got on this because they say we can make you physically strong, but we can't make you mentally tough. There's a problem. For Americans 35 and under, and this is uh, nine years ago, 42% of Americans 35 and under, all ethnicities are born out of wedlock. For those 20 and under, it's 82% born out of wedlock. That's all of America. And for black folk, it's running close to 90%. So it's really crazy what they've done to the family in terms of this move. So I heard them plotting this mess 50 years ago on UCLA's campus over and over and over again, so it's not anything taking me by surprise. Mm. I've just been astonished that they have... Mobile so quick, they've mobilized it so quick. century and achieved this effect. So they claim it's remedial, but what it is, is it shifted the balance somewhere it does not need to be. Because that's why American politics, and to an extent yours and Europe's, look so crazy, is when you get rid of, you downgrade masculinity, you get rid of the left brain dominance thing of rationality, reason, objectivity, logic, analysis, empiricism, cool, calm, and dispassionate uh, action. Instead, you you substitute belief, emotion, feelings, and that kind of thing. So you do it to be nice rather than to be effective. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. So that's a bad problem. I made made this quote, yeah. Um, I'm trying to get it to come on the screen. I said before, um, let me get this quote up. Protecting womanhood and promoting manhood. Now, I'm going to put that quote up because I like that quote. Um, It says, I just said, whenever the oppressor promotes our history and our heroes to our youth, I often think, why only this history? 
And these heroes, what political stratagem are they trying to gain, say? So on the topic of Harriet Tubman, I just find it interestingly, like we've already kind of established now, that they made her like, the, they want her to be the Trojan horse to tick the box, where like we've agreed, there's been many other heroes that they could have used as well as Harriet Tubman, but they don't want to give them any, any opportunity to be used, and they'd rather use the woman first, if that makes sense. Um, but this is the yeah, that's about it. In other words, you're ticking off two for one, and the most important thing is not black. <laughs> it's that is somebody female, any female. So yeah. be honest. Uh, go get one of the females, and a guy that you hold up for um, suffragette. Mm. And a guy called Neely Fuller. He said in 1974, he said black people can't get a job. But if you want to lead the gay parade, they will reserve a spot for you. Oh, yeah. So he saw back See, then. In other words, look, look, look at Malik Yoga. Yoba. Yeah, I yeah. call him Milk Yogurt. Yogurt. <laughs> milk Yogurt. No, look at uh, 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 <laughs> BP. <laughs> Billy, that they're putting on um, Sesame Street with a dress. Look at Black Panther. The guy that played Black Panther, also they had the same guy playing Jackie Robinson and the same guy playing Thurgood Marshall. So you associated with something masculine. But look at the movie, Gods of Egypt. He's playing the flaming gay god of wisdom in that movie all throughout it. So which one is it? Look at Iron Man. Uh, Robert Downey is Iron Man. Macho masculine, right? Uh, Robert Downey uh, got famous in Hollywood for a series of movies where he played a young, coke-using homosexual who had many nude scenes as he was giving fellatio to other men or being sodomized. By other men. I didn't know that, you know. So, from I what I heard that. 50 years ago, it's part of their plan of getting the audience to associate the character with fluid gender okay. situations. Okay, okay. Now, look at John Wayne, look at Clint Eastwood, look at Mar uh, Lee Marvin, look at some of the people like that. You always think this guy is the same character just in different places in the world, in different centuries, yeah. but he's playing the same role over and over. So this one, they want you, this time around, they want you to think these actors can be anything they want to be. See, in other words, when it comes to fluid gender. So the and first off, it's bad because the guy they chose to play Black Panther doesn't look anything like Thurgood Marshall. He doesn't look anything like Jackie Robinson. And there are many black actors that look like the actual individual who can act just as well and even sound like them that they did not use. So it is a thing. Uh, one of my aunts was Billie Holiday's roommate uh, for 11 years. She's a very dark-skinned woman. And Billie Holiday, on the other hand, was played by Diana Ross, who is a chocolate brown black woman who was thin. And Billy Holiday was as fair-skinned as I am and voluptuous. And my aunt left me all kinds of pictures with the two of them together hanging out. And my aunt had a Ph.D. eventually and retired as head of 
uh, dietary chief for Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Hollywood, which is a real upscale institution. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you see how they manipulate the public's impression of what's going on. So are you, are you saying that they try to get you to have an affinity towards the celebrity and then the celebrity is then androgynous? He's a male and a female. He can switch it. Yeah. And when you talk about MLK being a, being, a, being the face... Look at Michael Jackson. When you look at MLK as being like the face piece, yeah, it's just come out recently, to my knowledge, probably about a couple, a couple months ago, a year ago, whatever, that his ghostwriter was a part of the LGBT movement, like, you know, actively, who, 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 uh, yeah. to, to, a, to a degree. Uh, well, he was, not to a degree, he was in it. Um, so even then, you can see how with the civil rights movement, it was still trying, it was still, you know, the, the people who were writing it, the underbelly, the undercurrents. Byron Rustin. Exactly. That had a tinge of uh, that in it. Was, he was practically flaming. <laughs> <laughs> for the day <laughs> it, was, it was flaming yeah? a mile away that's caught up in there see some of the people who allegedly betrayed Dr. King down here in Memphis yeah. uh, one of them was a pedophile one of them was open well quietly but notoriously gay yeah. and one of them had a wife who was lesbian and he liked pedophiles I mean it's all of these people caught up with that movement, I guess, there were problems. And what it is, is they were people who had privilege for black folk. See, when I first got to Memphis, they had, and I had to go deal with people's criminal records to represent yeah. them. Yeah. Or, in fact, I was the first black prosecutor for the city of Memphis, even though I came in from California. Then I ran the public defender's office. I would find... This is in 1975, six or something like that. I'd find 55-year-old black men with criminal offenses on their records like reckless eyeballing by colored person. Colored person refusing to remove from sidewalk for passage of white person. Here's a real crazy one. Quote, and I kid you not, quote, acting too colored in person. In <laughs> acting too colored in public, unquote. <laughs> and see, this is the milieu that you have. See, at the time King is assassinated, you have a situation where Medgar Evers had been assassinated, nothing happened to him. Emmett Till had been uh, lynched, and the people who lynched him gave a featured expose to Look magazine. You had a lot of these homicides that were unsolved. They were all in a 70-mile radius of Memphis. So Memphis is listed as the murder capital, first degree murder capital of America. And they're not talking about street crime. See, this was ordinary. So it was an ideal place to kill somebody. And that has gone on in terms of what they have done recently. They have put this LGBT thing in to co-opt the tension from the yeah. black situation. Now, Memphis just happens to be the largest predominantly black city in America. Mm. And in Memphis, only 19.1% of the registered voters are white. Mm. Now you got a white mayor and all of the discretionary offices are white. Mm. So what happens with this? They've got some broken voter machines or hack ones that the Justice Department put enough money up 12 years ago 
to replace every one of them. But mm. every time it comes up for a simple majority resolution, mm. you've got at least three black representatives that vote against it. Mm. And they all seem to have an LGBT community connection to them. So it's interesting in what's really beginning to take over black politics because the black face has been added to the LGBT agenda. So when you elect a black person, you may not be electing a black person. You're electing a you black electing face. an LGBT person yes. with a black yes, face yes, who's yes. using that to get in place to deal with what they're doing. You know what? When the U.S. government... Wait a minute, check this one out. When the U.S. government had its so-called shutdown a year or so ago, it was one of the busiest times in congressional history and what was being done in committee while this supposed shutdown was going on to add LGBT uh, friendly amendments to various bills. You know what, George? Right now, we've got this thing called the Equality Act mm. that they have already under the anti-lynch bill that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, U.S. senators nominally identified as black, used uh, Jesse Smollett's uh, fake lynching to <laughs> add to the mix and they renamed it Anti-Lynch Act. See, and it's been pending since the mid-1990s and going wow. nowhere, but when they did that, they got it passed. So wow. with Smollett wow. getting fake lynched yeah, 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 in yeah, order yeah. to contribute to the political thing rather than just him trying to get more paid yeah. for, yeah. uh, what is it, Empire? And by the way, he's not a high-paid actor. Mm -mm. He hadn't even broken into the Millionaire's Club yet, so he's relatively a nobody when it comes to what he gets paid. Now, you have to understand this attempt to make the LGBT thing synonymous with black. They're can trying I, to say it's just like the black experience. Yeah. Hell no. We can can't hide what we are. All you got to do is just not act like what you are. <laughs> can I add to that? Um, one thing I've noticed, you know, and I think that you're a very astute guy, and I'm not saying that to give you a blandishment. I'm saying I know that you would have seen it too. So a thing that I've picked up is you have a lot of uh, uh, sisters who, who like to wear weave and, and straight weave and this, that, the other. My wife was obsessed with weave. I told her she was beautiful. You know, a few compliments along those lines, and she got rid of it and started to go more natural. But I'm saying all of that to say this, what I've noticed is that for the LGBT representative now, they're using the black woman who has the natural hair now, yeah, as, as, as like the, the model for the feminist movement. So it's, it's, you know what I'm trying to say? So they're using the natural look. You might not have picked this up. I picked it up. But they're using, they're, they're trying to have this woke, woke movement, which is just a combination of LGBT, uh, you know, the ABC club. Yeah. And they're saying it's woke. And when I see a lot of the, the programs that they make or the people that they push to the forefront, it's generally a black woman or Negro woman but it's one with natural hair, the natural look. So it's like, when I see that, I'm like, okay, we should be trying to get a more natural look and, and, and love ourselves. But they're using the perfect prototype to push an agenda, if, if that makes sense. Like, watch most of the Yeah, I got exactly what, what you're talking about. Watch most see, of the my generation yeah. invented the Afro and uh, the natural hairstyle and the women 
really went at it and they made it look beautiful. Nowadays, what it is, is they call the natural hairstyle. You just got out of bed five minutes ago. You're a woman. <laughs> and, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This weed thing, they gave yeah. women, uh, black women, kudos for having an outstanding fashion contribution of the weave, which is absolutely ridiculous to be getting horse hair mm. or something over some animal or some Korean uh, product that they're putting in their hair and you got women with 15 pounds of weave in their heads and then they do that to their seven, eight, nine year old daughters so they don't bond with them and brush their hair and everybody is sticking pencils and pens it's in their heads because they mic. itch because they haven't yeah. been washed yeah. in three weeks and they smell. So, I mean, that's not what I call progress. No, no, no. It's because it's, it's of the microwave generation of wanting things instantaneously. I mean, even us as men, when you look at Malcolm X, before he became Malcolm X, he had his hair straightened, you know. So he had his hair, he had his hair um, relaxed. That's Malcolm X. So I, I, I'm not trying to throw women under the bus to that degree, but I'm trying to understand that with this wee thing, a lot of our, our women represent themselves with weave but i've seen how they've taken the most bold the most um natural yeah and of using this this type or this archetype to represent the feminist movement now so when you see a lot of the feminist pushers or the lgbt pushers they're pushing the most afrocentric women they're going for the more afrocentric but they're perverting what it is to be a man and a woman, and they're using them to forward their agenda. And I see it so clear. One thing on that, I agree with you. Second thing is what they are doing is kind of insidious in that they are trying to grab black women and make them the poster children for their movement. Yes. And the reason they wanted to, they spoke about it 50 years ago, is they felt the black woman was the only woman in America who had control of her men. Wow. Now, that was because we had what we nicknamed from a character in Amos and Andy, the Sapphire Syndrome. Yes, yes. The yes. black woman trying to tear down the black man to manageable pieces, which why in the hell would you want to tear down somebody who is part of your family unit? Well, get out of the family unit. You don't need it because they'll just oppress you. So that is a carryover from the culture imposed on black Americans during the time of slavery, wherein women were supposed to control, denigrate, cut down, disrupt, and can basically be in charge of their menfolk. And they teach that to their boys, not all black women, but too many. And it's a poisonous thing. So they push black women as the ideal woman because they take no nothing off of their infolk or male folk. And black women are so willing to give up the family, which white women over here paradoxically push the family as being inherent evil because it is a form of slavery. <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> you know, and it's like the things that done, like the U.S. government adopted a new set of pistols for the military, the M-17 and the M-18 SIG. They're known commercially as the 320. The okay. reason they got rid of the M-9 Beretta and the Mark 25 uh, SIG, known as the 226 or the Mark 11, 
because they said women are now in combat units and their hands are too small to use these pistols effectively. So it's like, when in the devil do you dictate the weaponry of a combat unit to fit women? Like, what's going on here? Exactly. exactly. I mean, now they got a situation where a court down in Texas, a federal court, it said women have to register for the draft because they are no longer exempt from combat units. Like, I thought this is why we went over there and fought for the family and, you know, not have them where this resource that women are can get shot up, mutilated, and brutalized in a combat situation. See, somehow along here, something is not making good sense. I can understand this if everybody's back against is against the wall and you're an extremist, but you don't do that when you've got options. Would you say that you're responsible? When I say you're, I mean your generation, the hippie generation, not that you were part of the hippie generation, the Afro, yeah. but would you say that you're, and, and even so, you know. Oh, and we're responsible for a lot it, of this too. It, Let it, me tell you where we really it, went wrong. Yeah. We had a very regimented upbringing. When we went to school, yes, yeah, shoes had to be shined. Your shirts had to be tucked into your trousers. Your hair had to be neatly cut and combed. You had to be clean. You had to be polite. The girls had to wear bobby socks and no sandals and pumps. They had to wear skirts an inch below the knee. The dress blouses had to be white. They had to button up the back. And they weren't allowed to wear earrings or anything like that. If they had pierced ears, they could have a discreet stud. No makeup, and that's it. And there were classes you had to take. Everybody had to take them. And what happened is by the time we graduated from high school, we were pretty well-prepared, briefed on the world, and uh, pretty regimented. So we had the idea that we need to make choices. But what we did not realize is that when you extend these choices to a seven, eight, nine-year-old child, who has no clue as to what the world is about, they don't know what choices to make. Yeah. So we set a lot of bad things in motion. Now, I got to get out of here. Somebody is sending me a text here about don't forget about so-and-so. But one of the things we have to do is understand the yin-yang balance. And as the French say, vive la différence. <laughs> you know, men and women are not the same. My personal motto Men should give guidance and women should give advice. You are a fool if you don't listen to effective guidance mm. or advisement coming from a woman. And a woman's a fool if she won't deal with effective guidance. Since the man is the one that actually has to take the bullet if it comes to the crunch, so to speak, or the sword or the spear thrust or whatever it may be, or the arrow, then he's got to be the one that... exactly. Could you imagine on the Titanic? Could you imagine on the Titanic? And um, the Titanic hits the iceberg. Men, get on the boats first. Children and, and well, women. That's what I've been saying. <laughs> Children and women. We need to be able to get in with the women and children. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yo, I'm, I'm, yo, I'm for, yo, if they want to be like, if, if this is the way it's going. Put me on the lifeboat with the children then, if that's the way you want to go. I don't think it's plausible or logical or manhood. That's not good, is it? So, and even, and it's like, where do you draw the line when it comes to prison?
are you in the man's are you in the man section or the woman section and and if you're a rapist or, or a pedophile or opportunist you might just get incarcerated so that you can identify with being a woman so you can have hanky panky <laughs> while you're incarcerated well, look at this style of the boys walking around with their pants low hung. Hmm. First time I saw that was in 1980. One of my law partners had been involved representing some drug defendants, and he got killed. Mm. All right, I took over some of the clients, and you know there were 42 co-defendants and various and sundry lawyers, and cops. And nobody walked out of it alive but me and my two defendants. But I had to interview one of his clients up at the main penitentiary. It was in July, and the air conditioning was broken down, and the attorney-client visit room and the temperature is around 105 degrees so i'm sitting out on the yard so i see somebody walking around with his pants down like that i said what in the world he said oh lawyer brown man it's like this man it's like those of us up in here doing long time of life man we got everything except we ain't got no sex options he said something different but so we making them into a sex object we girling them up we make them dress like that so when the guards ain't around, we can bend them down, pull them down, and get down. And when he's on the cell block, we make him take them pants off and he don't, can't wear no panties and that baggy shirt is his dress. And we already made him up some jewelry and metal um, uh, metal shop. And Jamal got his baby sis bringing sending in the care package with some rouge, mascara, eyeshadow, lipstick, plastic nails, and nail polish. So we're going to girl him up. So now you see everybody trying to be hip with the hip hop thing running around looking like he's designated to be turned out in 1980 in a penitentiary. Mm. See, so it's interesting. And one of the things that is spreading that so much in our communities in America is as a woman who is a director with CDC, that Centers for Disease Control, advised me when I was on the bench uh, as administrative judge here, getting a study done on some of our local jails. She said, if you've been incarcerated for 14 months, there's a 96% probability that the individual in question has been engaged in multiple voluntary or involuntary homosexual uh, acts and also you're going in with 4% HIV positive but walking 28% out HIV positive so there is a big problem and that homosexual thing is getting spread in our community because of such a high percentage of black people who have done time now in Memphis we have a bad statistic and this was 18 years out of date and it's got worse mm. Uh, somewhere around 62% of the African Americans in Memphis, 35 and under, have done felony time. Mm. And by the way, they can't vote anymore either. Can't vote. So it's not good. So we're saying that the system set up. So we're saying. I gotta get out of here. No worries, Somebody man. is giving me the blues. No worries, man. We'll catch let's up. do this again. Yeah, man. 100%. 100%. We'll catch up by next time, yeah? We'll catch up next time, yeah? Yes, sir. All Power right. to the people. All right, man. Take, take right care, on. man. Take care, man. Bless. Okay. All right, my brother. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Keep it up. I had this case. A guy broke into a woman's house and stole some valuables. I sent him to jail, but that wasn't enough. He wouldn't have learned anything. 
So I told him, I'm gonna let the victim go by your place and take some of your stuff. He looked at me and said, Judge, why? And I said to him, now, you'll know how it feels. Jedi. Hello, my name's Light Two. Because of my life, I've been lied to. I was taught I'm a Canaanite, not true. I was taught I'm a Hamite, not true. I was taught I'm cargo, not true. My ancestors sin brought hot soup. Now awaken. watching false camera action before you go anywhere don't forget to click subscribe